following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Well, Eric, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I teach... uh, New Testament studies at the Houston campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, The seminary asked me to move down here about 10 years ago. Uh, June 1st uh, was the move date uh, in 2004. And so I've been a Houstonian for the last 10 years. And uh, uh, really just uh, God is is allowing me to thrive here. the, the Houston campus is a small uh, uh, campus, an extension of Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, but it's, a, it's larger than most standalone seminaries. This, uh, this year we saw uh, 275 students, uh, and Dr. Fong, who teaches you every week, is uh, doing a wonderful job of leading the Houston campus. Uh, I, I've been here 10 years. He's been here about three or so, and he's just uh, breathing um, uh, life into uh, the, the next phase of growth for the Houston campus of Dallas Seminary. I'd like to thank you for having me. If I can back up, because none of you know me, really. Um, <clears throat> I was saved the week after I graduated from high school. Um, Three days before my 18th birthday, I, I, and just under the wire, they say that if you're not saved after age of 18, it, you, your chances uh, decrease exponentially. And um, <clears throat> my smokescreen was, oh, you Christians don't know what you're talking about. Uh, things get lost in translation. I know, you know, I know that whole thing. My mom grew up in Mexico City. Uh, I grew up hearing Spanish around the house. I studied Spanish in high school. And... Uh, uh, God really did come down out of heaven and save me in spite of that. Um, but one of the things that always bothered me was not knowing what the uh, the original languages said. So it was almost like if God if God and I had had a uh, a conversation, it would have been something like this. Now we didn't have a conversation. I want you to understand. I, I come from a non-profit organization. I'm, I'm not a prophet. Um, <clears throat> but if we had had a conversation, it would have been something like this. Oh, so you've got a problem with the translation, huh? Why don't you do it? So I started studying Greek, and I was at the University of Texas in Austin. I, I know some of you don't think that there is a university in Austin, but there is one. Uh, it's a re- it's an extremely godly place, let me tell you. Um, but I started studying Greek, and uh, I, I thought, why do people say it's Greek to me when they don't understand it? Really, it's, you know, I, I had found where God wanted me to, to to go, and so I just kept studying Greek and and uh, Latin and. Uh, when I got to seminary, I was already prepared with Greek. So, you know, of course, they make you study Hebrew as well. And, you know, God's sense of humor really is, uh, I, I'm living proof of that. Um, because uh, the conversation shifted. It's like, oh, so you've got a problem with the translation. Well, why don't you do it? 
No, 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 no. I've got you one better. Why don't you teach other people how to do it? So, I, you know, I really am living proof. And uh, small shop, I get to wear lots of hats. Um, they, they recruited me to teach first-year Hebrew as well as now second-year Greek. So I'm, I'm just having a great time. Um, I think I've learned more, stu- more Hebrew than my students have over the last few years. But uh, they say that the one t- who teaches learns. The, you know, the Romans always said, qui docet discet. And uh, even this morning, uh, what I have to teach you will probably teach me as well. Um, I, uh, James asked me to fill in for Dr. Fong, and I know I can't fill his shoes. He, uh, he is unique um, among preachers and teachers. Um, but uh, you've, you've, you're, you're stuck with me this morning. So um, uh, <laughs> when he asked me to come, I, you know, I had been just kind of rolling over in my mind. I've really gotten interested in the Gospel of John. And uh, I, I, I got really interested in this phrase, come and see, that appears early in the Gospel and I, I just thought, well, I'll explore that and see where this takes me. So uh, just allow me to share some things about this theme as it appears in the Gospel of John. Now, um, <clears throat> this is a thread. We're not going to cover all the passages there, so, so rest easy. You, you will be out of here on time. But uh, uh, I, I've given you a, a list of passages, though, for... Further reflection and study. That's what that's what that's about. We're gonna we're gonna touch on about three or four of these different things here. Uh, but what uh, what common see really is, if I could just kind of front load with with what I'm gonna say, is that uh, it's an invitation to discipleship in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> really, it's an invitation to test the truth by coming and seeing it. But then Jesus wants us to believe in it after we've tested the truth based on the evidence that he gives us. And the Gospel of John is full of evidence. Well, if you were going to do a screenplay of Jesus' life, when Jesus first steps on screen and, uh, and begins speaking dialogue, what do you suppose his first line would be? You know, now this isn't a trick question. Like, it'd probably be in Aramaic. What would it be? Would it be Greek? Uh, I don't know what. You'd be surprised, though, if you look at the the Gospel of John when Jesus first appears on screen. If you will allow my uh, metaphor to continue, when Jesus first appears on screen. First thing he says is, what do you want? <laughs> First thing out of his mouth is, what do you want? Uh, and it really is kind of a, uh, a, real, a real slap in the face. It's, what are you seeking? Now, I'll give you some more uh, context here. But almost the next line, once they, ask, once they tell him what, what they want, he says, they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? He says, come and see. Or as the ESV has it, Come and you will see. So really, I want you to notice from this lesson, I want you to have when you leave today, or maybe not when you leave today, but when you've thought through what I'm going to tell you, I want you to understand that your faith isn't blind faith. It's faith that's both testimony and evidence-based. 
And the Bible doesn't expect you to have blind faith. When people say that's just a crutch, you're just believing it, or, or faith is, uh, is an irrational acceptance of uh, uh, an idea or a fact without any evidence, you can say that is not at all how the Bible defines faith. <clears throat> the psalmist says, Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God invites us to experience the truth as we test what's said about him. Well, there are a few contexts to come and see that I want, I want to explore this morning. There are several others that we could talk about. But uh, uh, I, I thought I would just pull on this thread a little bit. I'm not going to pull it all the way out of the sweater here, but I'm just going to tug on it and show you that this theme runs through the gospel. And, uh, and hopefully as you go back and you, and you do your homework, see, I'm a professor, I've got to assign you a, uh, give you an assignment. As you look back through that list of passages that, with the gospel of John open in front of you, you'll see this more often now that I've noticed, uh, now that I've noticed it with you. Uh, <clears throat> but I want to talk about this morning uh, f- uh, four or five different places or contexts in which we see this theme Come and see. Uh, <clears throat> uh, when we meet Jesus, uh, and then another context that I've called in the beginning, that's the beginning of the gospel. Uh, and then at two different tombs, at Lazarus's tomb and at Jesus' tomb, and then at the table with Thomas. And I hope what you'll see is that there's a progression here, uh, especially once we reach the tomb of Jesus. Now, what we want to see is what a mature faith really is, how the disciples grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, and how we as Jesus' followers today need to come and see the testimony that God has given us in His Word and combine that with believing in it, trusting in it, not simply taking it at face value, but understanding it and believing it. Uh, <clears throat> so let's look at the first context of come and see. I've already noticed with you, he said to them, come and you will see. Now, you might think, wow, how'd you get that out of, how did, how'd you get a whole lesson out of one line? It looks like it's pretty mundane. Well, now think about this for a moment. Remember, the, this is, if you will keep running with the screenplay idea with me here. I know that John, the Gospel of John isn't a movie, and typically when, when Hollywood gets hold of, of the Bible and they make movies of it, well, it's, it's like I say, ancient Rome the way it really wasn't. Um, yeah, oftentimes very anachronistic, oftentimes uh, somewhat skewed, and these days, especially now when Hollywood gets hold of biblical figures, they rewrite the history uh, uh, in their own image, so to speak. But if you will allow me, um, uh, a, a movie that accurately portrays Jesus' life, then come and you will see appears mundane on the surface, but is really very significant as we move through the story. Now, you've probably already recognized this about the Gospel of John. If you've read it through several times, you'll notice that there are places where people say things and they don't really appreciate fully what they've just said. 
like Caiaphas at the trial scene of Jesus. He says, you guys don't know what you're doing. Hey, listen, it's better that one man die for the people and that we not lose our place of authority and corrupt power and so on. You know, never mind. But John comes out and points out to you. He says, hey, you know, Caiaphas really didn't know what he was talking about, but God honors the office of high priest in his situation. And he actually prophesies apart from his will. Well, the gospel of John is actually full of situations like that. And you could, you could think about several of those, but you know, usually the cycle is Jesus says something and his hearers go, huh? You know, in the Greek, it really does say, huh? Uh, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Huh? You know, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Huh? You know, uh, I'll give you living water, the woman at the well. What? Uh, <clears throat> and so on. You know, uh, John 11. Uh, yeah, Lazarus has fallen asleep. What? Uh, and, and so <clears throat> Jesus will say things or other people will say things in the Gospel of John and they'll seem mundane, they'll seem ordinary at first. But then when you look back on what they said, it's one of those lines that keeps echoing in the, in the Gospel of John. And come and see is one of those. And this is why I'm kind of teasing this out. This is kind of like, you keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You know what Inigo Montoya says in Princess Bride? Uh, you can tell I'm a real muff, movie buff, right? Uh, well, let me give you some context here. Uh, The next day, uh, this is John chapter 1, verse 35, uh, uh, 35 through 39, really. Uh, The next day, John, this is John the Baptist. He's the first guy to say things about Jesus in the Gospel of John. He's got an extensive testimony to who Jesus is. John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, this first line in the movie, what do you want? What are you seeking? Uh, I like the way the, the ESV kind of cleaned that up, but it's, it's really the standard Klingon greeting. What do you want? Uh, <clears throat> you didn't know. That, well, anyway, I'm also a Star Trek fan. Uh, Standard Klingon greeting is, what do you want? Okay, so what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, even where are you staying has significance that I'll, that I'll try to unpack later. But they really, you know, really in the context of this initial discussion, you know, this looks like just an ordinary, hey, how you doing sort of thing. But they ask, where are you staying? Because they've heard from John who this Jesus guy is going to come on the scene. They don't know. He hasn't called him Jesus, but he's been saying, hey, I'm the guy. I'm telling you, there's a guy coming after me and uh, uh, he's God's man for human history. He's going to take away the sin of the world. And he finally identifies Jesus to his disciples. And so they want to know where he's staying so that they can talk to him. They want to follow Jesus. And John is perfectly fine with that, by the way. Uh, Jesus replies, next verse, he said to them, come and you will see. You may have come and see. Uh, The first word is is an imperative. Come and you will see. Interesting 
uh, uh, we don't have time to, to really delve into this the, as this story, this particular scene progresses. But Philip says the same thing. He, Philip is one of the two disciples. He goes and finds his, his brother and he says, hey, look, we found the Messiah. And, he, and uh, hey, look, uh, you know, uh, we found the guy about whom Moses is speaking. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he says, hey, come and see. Chapter 1, verse 46. So uh, they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, John is interested in historical situation. He is interested in historical detail. He isn't just making things up. But you do think, as you see this later in the gospel, that this is a significant line. So come and see means if you come, you will see. You must come if you want to see. It's an invitation. Now, Jesus has invaded the earth, so to speak, in the incarnation. But he isn't forcing himself on people. He says, if you want to know the truth, you can come to me because I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, John's purpose in the Gospel of John, you probably know this verse. You've probably already memorized this one. But these are written, chapter 20, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Great purpose statement. John lays it out in one verse after saying, hey, I've been selective about the scenes in Jesus' life I've shown you. There are lots of other things that I could say, but I'm up against a technological limitation. And that's 32 feet. That's as long as you can get a scroll and still have it kind of work. Okay, 32 feet is about the length of Luke and then Acts, another 32-foot papyrus and so on. You see why they have got to start other books. John says, hey, there's not even enough books in the world to contain the kind of things I could say about Jesus if you gave me the time. But he has been selective. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through His name. Now, to have eternal life, of course, I'm, I'm assuming I'm talking to an audience of men who has uh, trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins and to grant them eternal life, the way the Gospel of John lays out. But there's more to the Gospel of John than simply how does one get saved. It's how do, you, how do you enjoy this eternal life that God is promising. And in a sense, you're already enjoying this eternal life. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are enjoying that eternal life. But there's a sense in which you also have to come back to Jesus. You have to keep coming back to see the truth so that Jesus can live his life through you. And that's what enjoying this eternal life really means as it's worked out in our lives. Well, in the beginning, here's one of the contexts of come and see. Really, it's the end of the introduction to the Gospel of John. You may know this verse already as well. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the last statement of the introduction to the Gospel of John. Sometimes we call it the prologue. He makes this absolute statement. And just a few verses before this, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. 
Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, wait a minute. No one's ever seen God, but we've seen His glory. How do you work that out? <clears throat> now, think, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're the audience of the Gospel of John to begin with. You don't have the fully developed Trinitarian theology just yet. You've got to work it out from what, what, uh, what John is telling you. What he's saying is that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the visible member of the Godhead. If you come to Jesus, you will see the truth. Now, in John the Baptist's ministry as well, we find this common sea theme developed here. This raises the, the theme of witness and of testimony. John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, I want you to understand that you aren't just believing simply on nothing. It's not blind faith, is it? Because what we're doing is we're looking at what John uh, the Baptist, what John the author of the gospel has said, what the apostles said about Jesus. This is evidentiary testimony to Jesus' identity. That is, John puts this emphasis on testimony of these witnesses these men who knew Jesus, knew who he was, knew what he said, and knew what had happened to him after they put him in the tomb. So there's emphasis as well as, as to what Jesus does. If you look at chapter 5 and 6, for instance, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, don't just take my word for it. Look at the signs that I'm doing. The signs that I'm doing are part of the testimony that I'm giving you. God the Father is speaking on my behalf, and I'm telling you who I am. You aren't just believing based on my word alone. You're, You're believing based on the testimony, the evidence you've been given. And Jesus says this in chapter 5, verse 36. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John, that is John the Baptist, For the works the Father has given to me to accomplish the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And that word accomplish shows up again when Jesus says it's finished. Mission accomplished. I've done what the Father has sent me to do. Well, now you can tell that when I'm pulling on the come and see theme, I'm also pulling on several other threads because these are intertwined in the Gospel of John. You can't escape, once you've gone down this thread, you can't escape the other pieces that are lying around here. This theme of testimony, the theme of witness, all things that that, uh, we we could develop at another time, I suppose. But let me move on to another context in which come and see becomes very significant. This is the aha moment. Where come and see, where you say, oh wow, huh? At Lazarus's tomb, you you let me give you the backstory that that Jesus found out that Lazarus, his friend, his very good friend, uh, who's a brother of Mary and Martha, characters you know from other gospel uh, gospel writers as well, had fallen ill, and when Jesus heard that he'd fallen ill, he remained where he was instead of going to him. Instead of healing him right away, and uh, he dies. Lazarus dies. Jesus throws him under the bus, or so people might might have said. Well, wait a minute, 
couldn't this guy who's uh, cured blindness keep this guy from dying? That's what they say. Well, it's all part of God's plan because what God is doing in Lazarus' death is prefiguring what Jesus is going to do in his own death. Well, finally, when you know, after this conversation between Mary and Martha, he finally says, Where have you laid him? In John eleven thirty four, he says, He said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And you go, Hey, wow, I've heard that line before. You keep on saying that. <clears throat> come and see. Now, you remember he says, roll that stone away. And they say, hey, wait a minute. He's been in there four days. It's going to stink. But come and see means, look, come look into the deadness of Lazarus's situation and do something about this because we know that you can do this. And when Jesus says, where have you laid him? I think what's going on here, too, is John is John isn't making things up. Keep in mind, John isn't making things up, but he he is being selective about how he tells you this story. So what he decides to tell you is significant. And I think what he's doing when he says, where have you laid him? Obviously, the answer is the tomb, right? But I think this is echoing what happened in chapter 1, verse 38, when they said, Lord, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where have you laid him? Where is Lazarus staying? He's still in the tomb. And they say, come and see. Right? So this is where this connects with where are you staying? Come and see. Well, now, why is Lazarus's resurrection so significant? Well, Jesus has to come and see, of course, then he raises Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, out here, you recall. Uh, the joke is that uh, he didn't say, come forth, uh, because if he had said, come forth, all the other tombs would have opened up and he would have come, you know, they all would have come out. He says, Lazarus, out here. When G- Jesus prefigures his own resurrection, because he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I'm the life. There's life in me. John uh, 1, 5, in him was life. Um, and the life was the light of men. No, sorry, that's one eight. Um, and so when when he confronts Lazarus's situation, they say, "Come and see." Now this is all setting you up for the end of the Gospel of John. This is setting you up for "Come and see" as it appears at Jesus' tomb. Now. Uh, the the come and see moment in John eleven thirty four was the one where you went oh hmm maybe that line is significant. Now we're going to tease out the significance of this as it as it uh, progresses. We're going to see something very significant added to it at Jesus' tomb. Now the whole the whole scene after the resurrection, of course, when the women go and report to the disciples that the tomb is empty. They say, they've taken the Lord, we don't know where they've put him, meaning the tomb is empty, and they come to see. 
right? They're running there. And you know how John always, John says, yeah, I'm the younger guy. I got there first. And, you know, Peter looked in. But we join the story in chapter 20, verse 8. He says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. Now, this is John, the author of the gospel, kind of in, kind of talking about himself here. He says, the other disciple. By the way, he never names himself either. He never says, I am John, the son of Zebedee. We've pieced that together later. It's a good, it's a good reconstruction. He says, he reached the tomb first. Also, now watch this. He went in and he saw. Now, you may not have noticed this, but went in is the same Greek verb, same verbal root as come, come and see. He went in. Uh, it's just that English, English speakers don't like uh, an ambiguous verb. You know, uh, my students, when they, when they get this verb in Greek, it's the verb erkomai. They get it on a vocabulary list and it says, go, comma, come. They say, how do we know when it's go and how do we know when it's come? And I always say, uh, context? Uh, you know, the Greeks are, Greeks are just fine with an ambiguous verb. You know, go, come, hey, whatever. It's motion. But see, he says, he also went in. Uh, if you want to say go in, you just add a preposition to the front of the verb. It just says he went in. But this is still that verb root, come and see. He went in and he saw. Wow, come and see. He's not there. <laughs> wow. Now, look at the addition, though. It says, he went in and he saw and he believed. You know, the famous uh, 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 quotation by Julius Caesar when he came and he, I came, I saw, I conquered. Veni, Vidi, Vici. Well, we've got our own come, see, conquer here. He went in, he saw, he believed. Wow. See, it's only now that that I can confirm in chapter 20, verse 8, that come and see back in chapter 1 was significant. You know, some details are just details. Okay? You know, so, so next time somebody preaches a sermon on, you know, like the ten lepers and one was healed and the other nine didn't come back and thank him. You know, if somebody preaches a sermon on nine reasons why we're not thankful, you know, kind of go, hmm, I'm not sure that details that really does that. But here... Come and see really is significant. Now, once we reach the post-resurrection situation, it's believe is part of the come and see. Now, I'll show you this. It's, it's later in this chapter here. At the table with Thomas, here's our other context for come and see. You, were not, you remember that Thomas, who is called Doubting Thomas by some, he's, in, my, in my book, he's Believing Thomas. You know, he's just being realistic. He says, uh, you know, unless I see, I'm not going to believe. You know, he's, he's actually in line with what John is doing in the Gospel of John. I, I, um, Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes. But if you go down to chapter 20, verse, verses 27 to 29... Jesus invites him, come and see. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Come and see. Come on. Uh, see, come on is, is implied because you've got to come to Jesus to put your finger, right? You've got to stand close enough to put your finger in his side. 
Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And look at what, what Thomas's reply is. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. See, now that Jesus is raised, we can fully appreciate what they've been saying about Jesus. They've been suspecting that Jesus is God. He's been telling them that. And John tells you that up front. But now the disciples, because John has had had time to reflect on this, they've figured it out, so to speak. Once Jesus has been raised from the dead, they go, oh, Oh, so everything Jesus has been telling us all this time about being God's son, about being the son of man, about dying for the sins of the world, all that's true? Wow. My Lord and my God. Now, where do we enter into the story? Because the Gospels aren't written just as histories. They're written to invite you into the story. Next verse, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Did you come and see and then believe? Good. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's you and me. We've looked into the testimony about Jesus in the Gospel of John. We've come and seen, but we haven't seen the works. We haven't seen the miracles. We didn't see the empty tomb, but we see the testimony. We see the evidence. We didn't actually witness these events, but we can trust the testimony that the disciples, the men who are closest to Jesus and entrusted with his message, have said is true. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, come and see. How does this work for us? What are, what are we supposed to do? Well, of course, where do you come if you want to know what God's will is? If you want to know who God is, where do you come? You come to the Word, You look into the Word. You look long and hard at Jesus. See, the signs have been recorded. They're done. They're gone. But they've been recorded as evidence. Your faith no longer rests on those. Your faith rests on the empty tomb. And the the way we live out our eternal life is the same way we got our eternal life. What did you do to gain eternal life? Well, um, nothing? (laughs) Well, it's not nothing. I mean, you you do put your faith in Christ, but you didn't do the work. If I sit down in this chair here, the chair is the one doing the work, right? It's not my faith that's holding me up. It's the chair that's holding me up, isn't it? The Lord invites us to come and see. Look at the evidence. This isn't a blind faith. Test the truth of what he said by the evidence he gives. But then respond in faith. And he draws us into this story now so that we can say to the lost around us, come and see. Because in John 13, this whole preparation segment of the Gospel of John, about John 13 to John 17, on into 18, the upper room discourse. You know, John 13, 34 and 35, new commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So what Jesus is telling us to do is tell the people around you now, come and see. When they come and see us, when they come and see the church, when they come and see us living out our eternal life by loving one another, that's when they'll see the evidence that God is at work in us. And they'll put their trust in the power of the Word of God, both the written Word of God and the incarnate Word of God in our lives. Isn't it interesting that uh, there are Christmas trees now uh, next to me? Um, Used to be, you know, back in my day, as I always like to say to my students who are much younger than I am, you know, they didn't put out the Christmas decorations until, you know, Thanksgiving or so, right? Yeah, but now it's Halloween, right? You know, but I like that actually. I, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not all for the commercialism and so on. But, but actually, the sooner we get the Christmas trees out here, the sooner we get people thinking about the incarnation of of God's word. So come and see, and come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. And as we celebrate this, as we as we move into the to the Advent season. We're celebrating God entering into history. So we come and see by looking into history and looking into actual events on which our faith is based. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. The word become flesh. We're so grateful that we can look into the written word to discover who the incarnate word is. And we ask, Father, that you would uh, help us to shine the light of the gospel to those around us so that we can truly say, come and see. See what God has done in me. See what God has done through me or in spite of me. We ask, Father, that in this Christmas season, we can still wonder, still... uh, have this sense of awe at celebrating our Savior's birth. And we ask it all to His glory and in His name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details... And to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.